It's so good uh, to open up the Word of God today. So if you have your Bible, would you open up to Galatians chapter 5? And we are going to continue. Uh, in fact, we're going to finish Galatians chapter 5 today. But before we jump into the text, I, I, I've got to tell you guys about a uh, maybe the greatest news story I've read in a while. And when I read this headline, you are going to, I, I imagine you will agree with me on this one. Um, and while I set my timer to make sure I don't preach for too long. Okay, um, so, so this is, yeah, I, I just have to read it. Arizona man narrowly avoids shooting. A taco saved my life. Amen? A taco? Look, I mean, uh, anybody else ever felt like your life has been saved by a taco? I mean, listen, I've been really hungry a few times, you know, like, and, uh, and, uh, and, and like went to Taco Bell or, or actually, I mean, there's this, there, I like these food trucks be honest. I mean, like all these like food trucks where, where, uh, I'm, I don't ask questions. I just go and order tacos. You know I mean? It's, it's, um, but, but I, I love tacos. So like I, I saw this headline and I thought, yeah, that, that, that is something I'm going to relate to. Well, it's, it's super interesting. So, uh, this guy is driving through Tucson, Arizona, and, uh, he had just been through the drive, drive through at his local Taco Bell. He, you know, he's got the taco. I'm sure he's super excited, anticipating eating this taco. And no matter what you think about Taco Bell, when you're hungry, it's good, okay? I'm just saying. Um, and, and, and so I can imagine this guy's driving along in his car. He's anticipating, you know, consuming this taco. And then all of a sudden, something goes bang and his window blows up. And, and, and he's like, what's going on? So he actually pulls over and gets out of his car to look and see what was going on and, and, and notices uh, holes in the side of his car and the window's blown up. So... He, of course, calls the police like any of us would do, and, uh, and they come and they, they find a bullet on his, on his dashboard in his car. They find a bullet. So, the, like, somebody had shot a bullet, it had hit his car, and the glass had somehow caused it to redirect, and the bullet landed on his dash. And the quote that the man gave the news people, he says, I'm pretty sure eating a taco saved my life. Or at least stopped my arm from getting blown apart. Graphic. He said, I had the window closed because I didn't want pieces of the taco flying around. So apparently normally this guy drives around with his window down, but he had it up because of the taco and it saved his life. Can I get an amen on that? Come on. I mean, a taco saved somebody's life. Um, now, I don't know about you guys. I love stories like that. And, uh, um, and it's, I, I, I'm, I feel bad for the guy for having to go through it, but I mean... That's kind of incredible. And one thing that I've come to learn in life is, is oftentimes, okay, the, the, uh, the, the line between life and death is, it really depends upon whether or not you have the proper covering. In this case, the man had his window up because of a taco, and it saved him from the bullet. But... But I want to say to us, we need to remember that for us to be delivered from this evil world, we have to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? It's kind of a silly illustration, but it works. Uh, so we're going to run with it. Um, I, uh, I, want, I want us to focus on one thing this morning, okay? One thing in particular. And, and, and that is that when God is near, his light is bright enough to wash out the darkness in our hearts. 
If we want to win at walking by the Spirit, we have to be close to God. We've got to have the right covering. And that covering is Jesus Christ. Uh, I've cut down a lot of trees in my life. Um, I have a, uh, I've, I've, several times I've been, uh, you know, in situations where um, there, you know, well, I live in Oklahoma. I've been in Oklahoma my whole life. So there's ice storms, there's tornadoes, you know, there's, there's, there's a straight, like, 100 mile an hour wind shears that come, you know, things like that. Those tend to break trees, particularly in a state where we have a lot of weak trees, you know, because uh, people think Bradford pears are a great idea, and I have one of those in my yard that I regret. I didn't plant it, but I regret that the previous homeowner did, and, uh, and it breaks all the time, and I've had, I've had issues with trees, and we, we lived in western Oklahoma for uh, a couple years. I served as an um, as a, as a associate pastor of children and youth at, at a church. Uh, way out in the country, I mean, literally in the prairie where you could see like, you know, 50 miles. Um, you could like see the next town over if you were on the right hill. And, uh, and it was, it was an interesting place. But one thing about living on the prairie is the winds are insane. You think they're bad in the city. You got to be out on the prairie and experience that. So one year, um, it was a really bad storm, really bad ice storm. And everything iced over, and you all probably remember this, I think this was back in 2008 or something, um, really bad, it shut the state down for a few days, but that particular storm, I remember everything iced over, and then the winds came, sweeping down the plains, just like in the song, okay, and, and they came sweeping down the plains, and, and, and I remember standing out on the back porch, and all you could hear was crack, smack, you know, it was, it was like we were living in a bowl of Rice Krispies, snap, crackle, pop all over the place. And, uh, and trees were coming down, and the power went out. It was out for seven days. And so what we did, the, the staff that I was on uh, at the church that I was serving, and we, we decided, hey, we're going to get chainsaws, and we're going to go, we're going to cut people's trees. Uh, we couldn't be in the office anyway that week because we had no power. And so we were just, hey, we're going to go cut trees down. And it was great. We had a great opportunity to serve people. And we cut, can I just say, we cut a lot of trees down that week. Uh, a lot of trees. I mean, it's the most I've ever uh, identified with Paul Bunyan in my entire life. I mean, we were, we were cutting the trees down. And, uh, uh, but, but I discovered something in that process. It's good to have the right tool. Um, now, for those of us who've ever cut down a tree or, or something like that, you know, can you imagine, what if you came up to a big tree with, with like a hammer? Well, now, a hammer is a really effective tool for certain things. I mean, it's great for driving in a nail. It's good for pulling out a nail. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure there are other things that I probably can't legally say that you could do with a hammer. But, but, uh, but, but, but it wouldn't be real good for cutting down a tree. You, you, you know, maybe you, you'll do some damage. Maybe eventually you can cut into the tree enough to, but, but at what cost? I mean, your pride, uh, your, uh, your, your, your appendages, all kinds of things are going are to be messed up over that. And honestly, um, when you think about trying to do spiritual work, we have to understand we've got to have the right tool. Just like if I'm going to go cut down a tree, I want to have the right tool. And um, truthfully, truthfully, um, a hammer might not even do it justice. If, if we are trying to do spiritual work by natural means or by our flesh, so in other words, we're trying to will ourselves to be better, 
to do better, to, to be more spiritual, to accomplish things for Christ in our own strength. In my mind, it's more like trying to cut down a tree with a nail file. You're not going to get there. Uh, yeah, a hammer was probably too generous. You're not going to get there with a nail file. But from experience, I know. I know about chainsaws, okay? They're magical. I cut a, I cut a branch down yesterday that I thought was going to come down anytime anyway. So I cut it down, used my chainsaw. It took me like five minutes. It was awesome. It was, it was really, it was great. We need to realize that for us to, to win spiritually, to win at, at, at walking by the Spirit, to have a victorious Christian life, we have got to have the right covering. We've got to have the right tool. And the right tool is not anything that we have in us on our own. The right tool is the presence of God in our lives and the work of the Holy Spirit. So we must, as we've been saying, walk by the Spirit. And walking by the Spirit starts with us being close to God. We're going to take a closer look at what that actually looks like. To, to draw near to God, to be close to Him, to walk by the Spirit. As we finish out Galatians 5, and I do think this is a fitting way to close out the chapter. So uh, let's go ahead and open up to Galatians 5. We're going to go ahead and read verse 16 to the end of the chapter, just so we remember the context of where we've been and where we are headed today. And here's what the Apostle Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We're going to focus in on those last three verses today. And, uh, and so, I, and I want to remind you today of something Pastor Dwight said um, two weeks ago. And uh, um, that, that the fruit of the Spirit, it's not like a checklist of how we do better. Uh, I know sometimes that's how we look at those things. We look at these, you know, this list and we're like, well, you know, if I just do all these things, then I'm going to be right. But we're actually looking about it the completely wrong way if that's how we approach it. Because being right isn't about what we do. It's about who we are covered under. Right? It's about being in Christ. Now, there's something that we, we, we say often as a church, right? Uh, we know that Jesus has called us really to do three things. It's pretty simple. Love God. Love people. Make disciples. Right? He, he said uh, the greatest commandment, love God, love others. 
And then he told us in the Great Commission to make disciples. And so our mission is to make disciples. And we do that by leading everyone to be in Jesus, which is to actually have a relationship with him, to know him, to have repented and believed the gospel. Then we are then we are equipping everyone to become like Jesus, which means we're leveraging our lives for the kingdom. So in, in the church, for instance, it's my job and your job and each one of us, it's our job to take what we have learned in Christ and to help somebody else along in Christ so they can become like Jesus. That's what the church is about. It's about equipping the saints for the work of ministry because it's not just professional ministers who do ministry. It's all of us together who are doing the ministry I say this often, it's, it's our job as pastors. Our ministry is actually an equipping ministry towards you. Now, we have our ministry in the community, too. I have neighbors I'm reaching out to. You know, Pastor Dwight has neighbors he's reaching out to. Pastor Richard, same thing. All of us, we, we have people that we're reaching out to. But, but like our ministry in the church is to equip you so you can go be more effective in your ministry because you are the body of Christ. We collectively are the body of Christ together. And that Christ is at work through his body. This is the place where God interfaces with the world. It's the church. So that's pretty cool. And so, um, you know, then we have this third thing that we say that then as we're in Christ, then we're becoming like Christ, but then we want to send people out to do the works of Christ, to do what Jesus did. Because I believe that when we're full of the Holy Spirit and we're out in the world, we're going to do the, same, the sorts of things Jesus did because he actually said that. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He said, you're going to be my witnesses, right? And he even said in John chapter 20 that as the Father sent him into this world, he sends his disciples, us, out into the world to do his works, to carry on his mission. So when we're full of the Spirit, when we're equipped then we do Jesus stuff together. Like none of us are sent out as lone rangers. That's why we have the church, and that's why there's there's a multitude of spiritual gifts. And I mean, I don't care how good any of us are. Like we may we may have some really great believers in this room. None of us has all the gifts. We need each other. We're sent out together. So uh, so we see we see here. A path for us as a church to grow in these things of leading other people to know Jesus right to be in him of equipping one another to become like Jesus and then of going out to do the sorts of things Jesus would do if he were us and there's a sense in which he is because we are declared to be his body it's interesting uh, but anyway so take a look at verse 24 again he says, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now remember what we talked about, about needing the right covering, needing the right tool. Living free from bondage to sin is not about trying harder or doing better in our own strength. That cannot be said enough times. And the reason why it can't be said enough times is because uh, when I look across this room, I realize something. We're all human. And something about being human is we have problems. And can I also say that we have rebellious hearts towards the Father. And even though we are in Christ, those of us who've come to know Jesus, we're in Christ. And he's working on us. But listen, we can all relate to the fact that uh, even just 
probably, you could probably think of a time yesterday when you acted in a way that was out of alignment with who God is and who he's declared you to be in Christ. We're struggling. Now, the fact that we're struggling is actually good. It means we're not giving way to the world. But we're, we're wrestling with this. So um, the key, the key to living free from bondage to sin is actually drawing near to God and trusting in what Christ has done on our behalf instead of trusting in our own works. James wrote to us in James chapter 4, verse 8, that when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. I mentioned that last week just briefly, but um, that it really, or not last week, but the week before, it really feeds into what we're talking about today. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's an important thing to remember. By the way, if Scripture declares that if I draw near to God and He'll draw to me, near to me, that seems like something I'd want to remember and I'd want to practice because don't we want to be close to God? Do we? Pastor Dwight wants to be close to God. Anybody else want to be close to God in this room? Yes, I want to be close to God. We want to be close to God. That's why we're here. We want to draw near to Him. And we know that when God is near, as I mentioned earlier, his light is bright enough to wash out all the darkness in our hearts. So do you know what the key is to living righteously and walking by the Spirit? Again, it's not about trying harder. It's about being close enough to God that his light can shine into our hearts and burn out the bad stuff. It does. Susie said it hurts. Sometimes it hurts real bad because sometimes we like our sin. And God's presence, you know, scares us or it, or, or it makes us uncomfortable. But we need his presence. Listen, we did not do anything to free ourselves from sin. We didn't do this. We, it was God who initiated the work, right? It, like we... Humanity, we were just perfectly happy living in sin and death. We're, again, we're naturally rebellious. So we rebelled against God in the garden, and, and we said, you know what, God, we can do it better than you. Remember what, remember what God declared over Adam and Eve? He said, after he created them, he said, it is very good. And then Satan comes along and he says, eh, it's all right. <laughs> You need this to be very good. You're not quite there yet. And whose voice did they believe? Believe the devil. So ever since then, we've been doing this thing where we're like, you know, I just need to add this to my life and then I'll be happy. Well, I just need to add this to my life. And then, strangely, none of it actually makes us happy. And here we are going down this, this series of things thinking, well, that's going to make me happy and that's going to make me happy. The only thing that could ever make us happy is if we're united with the Father. Because we were created for Him. We were created to have that relationship with Him. Adam and Eve were happy because of their connection to the Father. But now we're, we're, we're in this spiral of trying to find out what's going to make us happy when the only thing that can make us happy is to give all that up and pursue the Father. But that's exactly the pathway He's opened for us in Christ. So we didn't do anything to free ourselves from sin. If it was left to us, I mean, sure, we might pursue God, but we'd always be pursuing God thinking that, okay, God, you know, if I, uh, I'm, I'm going to get myself together so you'll accept me. But you see how we're always making it about ourselves instead of making it about him? 
I always want to remind myself that, that when, Jesus, when, when Jesus tells about the time in the, in, the, in, the kingdom, in the future, when the kingdom is coming into its fruition, when he's judging the world, he says, some are going to stand before me, and they're going to say, Lord, look at all the things that we did for you. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And these are people who prophesied, and these are people who healed the sick, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Now what, that blows my mind. But the appeal is off. Because these are people who are appealing to their works rather than to the grace of Jesus. We didn't do anything to earn or deserve this. See, we have to understand that that our salvation is a work of God, and it's it's solely about who we are in relation to, and it's not about us trying to earn our way to the Father. It's about the fact that the Father's already paid the price for us to enter into His presence through Jesus Christ. He has declared us clean. Listen, again, the Father, it was, this was all God. Okay? It was all God. He paid the price. He called us. He declared us to be clean in Christ. And he is the one who is realigning our lives to match up with the reality of who he has declared us to be in Christ. Okay, catch this, church. We talk about sanctification, the process by which God is making us more like his son, Jesus. It's all the Spirit's work in us sanctifying us. The only thing we do is make sure we're close to him instead of wandering off on the wrong path. But as long as we stay close to God, he will work on us. Scripture declares that we, if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.17. Love that chapter, by the way. But he declares, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, I've told, you, I've told you many times, and I will keep saying this because one of my favorite things to say is that I don't think God minces up his words. God knows what he's trying to say, and he only says exactly what he means. And so when God says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation, he's not kidding. It's not like... You know, God, God doesn't say, well, he's going to be a new creation someday. He says, no, you're a new creation now. You may not have realized the, full, the fullness of what that means. Like, for instance, I'm not in my glorified body yet. I don't know if you guys noticed, um, but I'm not in my glorified body yet. I can't, like, walk through walls and stuff like Jesus did. Like, that's so cool, those stories of when Jesus rose from the dead in his glorified body, and, like, they're hanging out in a room, and he's just there. It's like Star Trek, and they beamed him in there or something. I don't know. But, like, but like it's, it's so, like, it's amazing. This, how incredible his resurrected body is. And we're going to be like that someday. Now, I'm not there yet. I realize that. We're still, we're still marching forward to that day. But even now, we have been declared clean and righteous and new creation in him. He has planted a bud of new life in our hearts. And we are growing into the person that he's created us to be. And that's what sanctification is about. So this is really important because we have a new identity. And so much of walking in the Spirit is about embracing the new identity. So who are we now? Well, again, you're a new creation. We are um, pure in Christ 
The Father has called us to join his family, and he's adopted us as dearly loved children. So now we are actually citizens of the kingdom of heaven and no longer citizens of the kingdom of darkness. This is really important. I want us to get this this morning. Our birthright is no longer sin and death. Before I met Jesus, my birthright was sin and death. And you know what that means? It means that was my inheritance from my first father, Adam. It's what I deserved because I was his child. Because, because it, is, it is the riches of this world is sin and death. Because we, the world is in rebellion against God. But because I am now a son, I have been declared a son, and I have, I'm made a son because of the blood of Jesus spilled in his resurrection, now... My birthright is not sin and death. My, my birthright is now life in Christ. So sin is not who I am anymore. Okay? Now, I still wrestle with sin because I'm still in my flesh. We know about that. But when I sin, it's actually out of alignment. It's out of character of who I really am because the Father's declared me to be something new. So when I was still in sin and death, when, we, when I was in the flesh and I did something good, that was out of character. Now that I am in Christ, when I do something bad, that's out of character. And the Father's teaching us how to live more and more in character with who he has declared us to be. We need to understand that a crucified sin nature is a dead sin nature. That's what Paul tells us here. And dead things can't do anything. Dead things are inactive. They're inanimate. They're powerless. So God says your sin nature is dead. And you may say, well, why do I still struggle with sin? Because you keep giving it life when you go back to it. When we don't walk by the Spirit, we're giving our sin nature life even though God has declared it to be dead. God says here in Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Look, Christians, I don't believe that we're ever going to be perfect on this side of heaven, but I believe we can get as close as we possibly can with the Father's help. I don't think He would have called us to something that was impossible with the Spirit's help. And, and, and that's key, with the Spirit's help. We need to keep that in mind because uh, we don't want to fall back into the pattern of thinking we can do it on our own. So, when we draw near to God, He draws near to us. And it is then that the light in Him overwhelms whatever residual darkness we still have in us. And we can live in true freedom. Okay, Paul says here in verse 24 again, those of us who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its evil desires. It's dead. So then he says to us in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let's, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now that's important because it's a call to actually walk in a way that is in line, within line with who we, who we now are in Christ instead of who we used to be when we were dead in sin. So keeping in step means following his moves, doing his works. For some reason, I have it in my head, maybe because I was in show choir in high school, but like I remember this, uh, you know, when we would have a choreographer come and would teach us a new dance. And, uh, and uh, I mean, I got some show choir peeps in here too, by the way, I know. Um, so uh, uh, I'm not the only one who's experienced this. And if you haven't been in show choir, you probably watched at least one or two episodes of Glee, so you know what this is about. So, um, but anyway, we would have a choreographer come and teach us the dances, and, um, and, and we would follow that person's moves exactly so we could learn. 
And then after a lot of practice, we were really good. We actually won uh, a, a, a national competition one time, which was really cool. And it was fun. We actually, like, we got our names in the paper. We were really excited. Um, but, uh, but we wouldn't have done that if we hadn't learned to match our leader and to follow our leader. And you see, walking in step with the Spirit is about taking our cues from God and not from ourselves anymore. The fruit of the Spirit is the example for us of what it looks like when we're living in step with the Spirit. That those characteristics are, are, are becoming more and more obvious in us. And the works of the flesh are becoming less and less obvious in us. The works of the, of the flesh show when we're out of step. When I, when I look at the works of the flesh and I see those things rearing up in me like, like, like some kind of horrible infection that's, that's coming back again, what I see in that is it reminds me, oh man, I'm out of alignment. I need to get back into alignment with the Father because I know that when I'm walking by the Spirit, I'm not going to live this way. So as a Christian, I, th- I think this is important to say, as a Christian, when you find yourself teetering over the line towards sin and death again, your job is not to flog yourself into submission. Your job is to cuddle back up with the Holy Spirit and let him start working on you again, right? Like, Christian, when you sin, receive the forgiveness, move on, right? The price is already paid. So oftentimes we sin, and then we just kind of like sit in that dirty puddle, and, and we, just, we just hang there. When the Father's like, hey, what are you doing? I already paid the price for that. My, like, Jesus died for that. Get up and keep going with me. We don't have to beat ourselves up over our sins anymore. Jesus was already beat up over our sins in our place. Why in the world would we want to go back to that when he's already done it? You're free. Receive forgiveness. Move on. That's what the Spirit's calling you to. Walking in the Spirit is about learning to give way to God while resisting the sin nature that's latent within us. Now, Peter gives a good example of this in 2 Peter 3, 1 through 11, or 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. You can write that down. I'm not going to read it right now. But Peter, Peter essentially says, hey, make every effort to, conf- to confirm your calling and election. Right? Make every effort to make sure that you're, that you're really saved, is basically what he's saying. Now, he's not saying that, we, that, that our works somehow add to our salvation, but he says, hey, don't you want to live like a saved person if you actually are, so you can have confidence in that? I think when people start doubting their salvation, most of the time, it's because they stop believing who God says they are. And we, see, when we start living in a pattern of sin, we start to doubt God. Did God really call me out? Did God really save me? Did Jesus really die for me? Like, am I really one of his kids? Because when you look at your life and it looks like it doesn't match up with his, you know, of course doubts are going to arise. But when we make sure that we're walking in alignment with who he's declared us to be, and by the way, we're not on our own. We have the Holy Spirit. It's not like you have to do this in your own power. You find yourself more confident because you see God at work in you. And it's hard to... It's hard to lack confidence when you see God at work. And then the last verse here, verse 26, he says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Oh, oh, sorry. Before I get there, I almost forgot about this. This is important. Um, we already established, uh, this is relating back to that, that, the last thing. We already established that it is more about nearness to God than what we can do. 
And then when God is near, his light drives out the darkness. So this is what's important about that. Um, the key is being close to God, not willing ourselves to be better. We, we do work. Okay, I want to say that. We do work. We need to say, that's important. It's not like we're passive. Christians, we don't just sit around being lazy, hoping that God just does stuff to us. That, that's a flawed way of thinking. We're called to work. In fact, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, God says it's by grace that we've been saved, right? By grace, through faith, not by works. But then the very next verse, God says, in order to do the good works that the Father laid, laid out beforehand for us to do, so that we may walk in them. So, so we're saved by grace in order to work. But it's important that we keep those things in order. We don't work to get grace. We work because we have grace. We work, we build on a foundation of grace, and we need to keep that in mind. We're not working to earn grace. We're working because we have the grace to now work with the Father. Okay, so back to verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The enemy likes to get us focused on ourselves. This is an important thing for us to recognize. And this is probably true in all of us at different times. The enemy loves to get us focused on ourselves. That's what he did to Adam and Eve. He took their eyes off of God and said, hey, look at yourselves. And he keeps doing that to us. Victory over sin begins with God and not with us. So we've got to look at him. We've got to look to him. As we said earlier, we didn't initiate the work of salvation. We're not going to finish the work of salvation. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. It's God who's finishing. He's the author and the finisher of our salvation. We've got to remember that. And as we mentioned earlier, cutting with the right tool, there's no tool which could possibly be in, as ineffective at cutting a tree down as our own strength is at bringing about inner transformation. In other words, your own strength at trying to change yourself is actually a worse tool than a nail file on a tree. We cannot accomplish this on our own, no matter how hard we try. Now, we may be able to change our behavior to some degree at, at, at a considerable cost. Behavior modification, that's a popular thing in our culture today. But it can't change us from the inside out. It cannot change our hearts. Because even when you modify your behavior, you're usually doing it for the wrong reason. You're doing it so you can look better or feel better or, you know, be better or, you know, that they won't have to lie about you on your obituary someday. And, I mean, you, all these things that we're trying to do, for the wrong reasons. We're not doing it for the glory of God. And you remember what Paul writes to us in Romans chapter 14, anything that is done, uh, is it chapter 8 or 14? Eh, I'll look it up later. Um, it's in Romans. <laughs> anything that is done apart from faith is sin. 14, thank you. I knew it was one of those chapters. I memorize in context. So, <laughs> um, so, so it's important for us to understand we've got to be coming at it from the right angle. And the only right angle is if we're coming at it with the Holy Spirit. Trying to win over sin in our own strength is never going to be effective for us. And the enemy knows that if he can get us focused on ourselves, what's going to happen is, is he will always win. He will always win when we're focused on ourselves. He knows that when we, were operating, when we are operating in our own strength, we have no power over our broken sin nature, and he has a foothold over us. And this is why the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2, 
Starting in verse 20, he says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive to the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That's a powerful word from Scripture. So what, what, what do we see in that? Okay, well, um, we see that, that some of us may be getting pretty good at this religion stuff. You know what I mean? I mean, some of us are, listen, some of us in this room are church kids. I've told you guys, I'm a church kid. I grew up in church. You know, uh, I, I've said before, I was a drug baby. My mama drugged me to church every Sunday. And, 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 uh, and, and, and that is... I'm still in church, you know, because my mama taught me, and, uh, and then somehow I ended up a pastor. I don't even know what happened. But, but listen, we, those of us who are church kids, we get this. We know how to play the game. And, and even some who didn't grow up in church, you've been around long enough, you, you're good at playing the game. You're good at putting on a face and looking good in front of people. You're good at, uh, you, you, in fact, you may even be good at the holiness stuff. Like, you may be looking at yourself and be like, boy, I don't sin much anymore. I must be getting really good. And, and guess what? Your eyes, your eyes are turning away from Jesus. And we see what happens when, when our eyes turn away from Jesus when we saw Peter sink in that lake. We don't want that. We, we find ourselves getting puffed up and we bring destruction with that. A lot of the destructive things that happen in the church are because people turn inward. Living in step with the Spirit means we understand that we are becoming new in Christ and it's not our own strength. So, I want to ask a question of us this morning. What's it looking like in your life right now? Is it the light of Christ that's so filling you, that's driving out darkness in you? Or have you found yourself pursuing another direction? Because it is the light of Christ as He draws us near or that, that drives out the darkness. Self-centeredness actually draws our hearts away from God. So you may be saying, well, well, that's a, that's a lot of information. What, what does this actually mean? Well, again, our sin nature is going to win every time if we rely on our own ability to keep ourselves holy and righteous. It's going to win every time if we rely on ourselves. And there might be an appearance of wisdom, just like Paul says, but if we're truly going to walk in a manner that's worthy of Christ, it's going to be because we are drawing near to God and allowing the Spirit to work in us, to put to death the flesh which has already been declared dead in Jesus Christ. Do you see, church, do you see what God is calling you to? I hope that walking through Galatians 5 and really the whole book of Galatians has helped us to get more clarity. But do you see what God is calling you to? Do you see the freedom in it? Every other religion and human ideology, every self-help book you'll pick up at the store, all of those things essentially say, do better, achieve, get your life together, do more. There's even a bunch of books in the Christian bookstore that say that. But do you know what the scriptures say? 
Let me just give it to you in the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who are tired and loaded down with burdens, and I will give you rest. It's from Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. That sounds a lot different than do better, try harder, doesn't it? Jesus says, come rest in me. Come rest in me. So I think he would call us this morning to come and have rest in him. To come and, and, and be with him so that he can grow us into the image of the Father. And we'll have no part of the flesh anymore. But we must first be in Christ before we can become like Christ. So I would say if you're in this room and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus by repenting of your former dead works and believing the gospel, we invite you to, to, to be with Jesus today. Become a Christian. Repent. Turn away from your sins and turn to Christ. But then those of us who are already Christian, how do we grow into these things? How do we actually become like Jesus? Well, again, I told you there's only one thing that is going to be the most important for us to remember today. And that's when God is near, His light is bright enough to wash out the darkness in our hearts. If we want to win at walking by the Spirit, we need to be close to God. So Christian, I'm going to give you one thing. One thing today. Get closer to God. You want to walk by the Spirit? Draw near to, draw near to God. Who's drawn? Look, He drew near to you. We love him because he first loved us, right? Draw near to God. But you may say, well, how do I even do that? How do I draw near to God? Well, can I give you just a couple of things? One, pray. So many believers never spend any time praying outside of church. And well, I spilled my coffee. Okay, but anyway, outside of church, outside. See, Dwight, man, yeah, I'm doing it now. Um, uh, we were just joking about that the other day. Um, <laughs> uh, outside of church and outside of maybe like your mealtimes or your bedtime prayer or whatever, so many of us don't actually spend any legitimate time with the Father. Well, how do we expect to become like God if we're not spending time with God? You've got to draw near to Him, and He'll draw near to you. So we've got to commit to prayer every day. Time that is, hey, how about frequent prayer, immediate prayer, and when we see a need, and persistent prayer. Remember that FIP up thing we had a while back? We need to do that, not just talk about it. we got to do it. And then the second important thing is we've got to engage the Scriptures. He has spoken to us through His Word. We've got to engage the Scriptures. I'm going to call you to that. If you're not having regular time in prayer and regular time in God's Word, would you, would you commit to doing that this week? Would you commit to, to carving out margin in your life to spend time with God? We've got to do it if we want to grow in Him. Yeah, even if it's just a little bit, we've got to carve out margin to spend time with God. It's the only way we're going to learn to walk by the Spirit is if we draw near to God because He'll draw near to us and He'll teach us what it looks like to be the new people He's created us to be. I think that's what God wants us to do this week. So Pastor Richard's going to come. He's going to take the offering. And, um, and so let's, let's go ahead and prepare to give this morning. And, uh, but as we are closing out our time together today, I want to encourage you. We're going to have a time of open for ministry at the end of service today. you got three pastors in this room. you got some deacons. you got, you got 
And, and you, guess what you also have? A priesthood of believers all around you. If you need someone to pray for you, if you need to repent and believe the gospel for the first time, God's doing a work in you. We want to walk you through that. You need to be baptized. You've never done that. We want to walk you through these things. If you're interested in joining our church, whatever that is, we want to walk you through those things. So as we close out today, find one of us, and we would love to minister. Uh, and also, if you need prayer for healing, you've got a sickness in your life, you need prayer, we want to pray for you. You've been listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If God spoke to you, or if you'd like us to pray for you, you can email Pastor Nick directly at nick at newcovenantokc.org. If you'd like more information about our church, you may visit us on the web at newcovenantokc.org. We can't wait to hear from you.